Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about how to be a digital nomad and what are the pros and cons. I mean, we got a pro in the building, ladies and gentlemen. Right. I mean, we got William who's been <laughs> literally across the globe the past couple months, many months now. I feel like I'm whatever is the opposite of a pro. <laughs> no. Like, I don't want to say I'm a con because <laughs> that's not right, but. <laughs> I'm definitely a con. I mean, you've traveled some. I think we're going to get into that as well. You uh, have some insight. Yeah. And you did Maybe some. In the <laughs> <laughs> you did some programming but, away from home. I've been in Larchmont the whole time. That's been me. <laughs> but what William has like emerged from the clouds, you know, again. I'm back, baby. He's, He's back, back, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Yes. Yeah, so we finally, you know, one of the difficulties, I think I'm, I'm going to jump into the con, I imagine. This was a con for us. This definitely was the time zone. William has been to many places so far. And back when you were in South Korea, for those who were listening, was wondering, where is William in these episodes? He's not appearing anymore. When the United States went through daylight savings, we lost William. Like, that was it. (laughs) Because the time difference was really bad for us to work together, which was, you know, can be a problem at your workplace, wherever you're working. Yeah, absolutely. Time zones are a huge limiting factor. If you have core hours, it's just going to shave off part of the globe that you're not really going to be able to work remotely from unless you are like really willing to screw with your time your sleep schedule yeah it was just like the time changed you were barely pushing it like with the time that we had before and then the daylight savings moved it an hour back you were like nah i'm not waking up that early (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys you're gonna have to see me the next Mm -hmm. season (laughs) Yeah, it's true that one hour made a big difference. It was like oh, yeah. the difference between painful and impossible. <laughs> so no, right. not not happening. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain hour that after you're up past, like it's no longer like gaining you character. Like you're just damaging yourself. I imagine going to one of the pros of digital nomad life is being able to wake up and start the work day, but like not at home, like you're in, you're in a new world in a new life. What was that like working away from your home and your desk? I do appreciate like being able to see a mountain or like some kind of natural space. Like I did like a short working vacation travel thing in the Catskills. And that was pretty nice. Just being able to step out of your space and be in a different place. And more recently, I was traveling with some friends and it was nice to also like just kind of be like in a different context where like the people who you're with is different as well. Like I kind of miss the ability to like just kind of have like casual interactions with people who are also working in the same space as you. So that was kind of nice to be able to like recreate that with like a really chosen set of people. Like normally you just work with whoever you're working with, but you get to pick ideally who you're working with or who who's traveling with you. So it's kind of nice. I think for me, it kind of feels like home. Whatever. I mean, I guess like there are different nomading speeds, right? You can, you can be a fast nomad and be, you know, changing every week. I don't want to have to do that much planning. So right. when I pick a spot, I'm there for a, a months 
And so, you know, my Airbnb feels like home to me. And I guess it's become sort of a new normal. So it doesn't, like when I'm walking around in Budapest, it doesn't feel like I'm traveling. It feels like this is my neighborhood. And this is my regular coffee shop. And here's the old lady who hates me. <laughs> very <laughs> resentful of my obnoxious, difficult ice Americano order. Yeah. <laughs> she has to go to the back to get the ice because fucking nobody drinks ice Americanos in Budapest. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> yeah. Just you. She has to go shave the ice because of you. I think Europe right. just hates ice in general. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They want to give oh, me man. all this sparkling water. It's like every time I, I like have to, I gag. <laughs> Why are there bubbles in this? <laughs> <laughs> Send it back. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great point because like both times that I have worked remotely, it has been for you know on the order of a week and maybe shifting locations a couple of times during that and you have to deal with like the variability of like okay like this place that you're working at is actually really comfortable and it's great and the internet works and then you move to another place and then the internet stops working and the space is less comfortable it's more noisy like there's more background noise or like in the case of the cabin in the catskills that i spent a week at it was just like wow, there's no room at all for us to exist. Like, I was literally, like, working in a Harry Potter closet underneath the stairs. Because it's just, like, you know, it just was, like, one room. So I think that, like, going at it from William's side, where, like, you don't have an apartment back home, and you're picking a place, and you're sticking with it, and settling in, like, you can kind of, like, make that your life, as opposed to still having all of those attachments back home that you have to like come back to and pay for also <laughs> while you're like away it makes it feel less real and permanent and it's more of a temporary fantasy that you're hanging out in even though you still have to do the work so i think that if i'm doing a temporary thing in the future i would rather like just be on vacation because like you're you're already like kind of all in I like just being all in wherever I am. And I think that's the, the same philosophy that William is bringing to the table, which is just like, just being all in. <laughs> right. Just staying for the month or a couple months until the next place. You mentioned fast versus slow, William. And I kind of want to dive into what would it be like? Do you know anyone or does anyone here know anyone of any fast nomads? Like, do you stay for a week and then you move to... A different country altogether or do you move within the country because that makes it a little easier to deal with the logistics of moving like i'm curious what the what the fast nomading implies so i have met people who say that they are nomading and then they're only in town for a week and i'm always confused as to like how that is worth the time and energy that it takes to like book a flight, find an Airbnb, get a co-working space, make sure that there's fast internet everywhere, and then somehow also have time to enjoy the place that you are. I think that maybe if I were traveling with someone else, like, you know, if I had a girlfriend or a wife, and, and especially if they were not working and could really handle all of the logistics stuff, or if I were not working and could handle all of the logistics stuff for them, then maybe 
that would have more appeal. Because I mean, it does sound fun to get to see more places. Right. It does sound like a headache, though. Yeah, I mean, the internet and, like, having a conducive working environment, it's hard. Like, I mean, I guess it depends on what country you're in. Like, when I was in South Korea, it was very easy to find fast internet, because that's, like, a country that's really well-known for that. But when I was in India, for example, that was a major concern. Like, if you don't have a good workplace with reliable internet and reliable power, some places you, you can't bank on there being electricity all the time. That can be a real headache. And if you do the planning and you find a cowork that has good reviews and consistent internet and they have a backup generator, if that's necessary, then, you know, you can chill for a while and it'll be nice. But, I mean, you can lose a whole work day if things go wrong. And so if you're only there for a week before you have to do it all over again. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I think if you're working with people who are not traveling and not, you know... <laughs> living the life, then I feel like it would be kind of a friction where you're like, okay, like, well, I don't want to be really difficult. Like, I want this to be like as easy and frictionless as possible to like collaborate with people rather than being like, oh, this is just like that guy with those freaking nomad problems. Yeah, that's true. The like having to update your schedule and then update your schedule for your workplace might be a little a little hard for your entire team. That's like the overhead that you have to keep in mind. But William, yeah, you mentioned the idea of reliable internet. I imagine that that is a, a key component to traveling because you want to make sure that you're always connected, ensuring that the co-working space that you live in or your home or your Airbnb has the internet to support you and the things that we do. That's one of the cons is that you're constantly looking for good internet right? There are other cons too. Like it's, it can be kind of isolating because you're going to a new place where you don't know anybody sometimes on the other side of the world from everybody that you know and are friends with. Mm -hmm. So that can be tough. There are some groups that you can join. Like, um, if you join hacker paradise, remote year, Wi-Fi tribe, there are a bunch of these sort of services where they create a cohort of people who all travel together and then they handle all the logistics for you. And it's pretty expensive, but you get a lot for your money, you're guaranteed to have fast internet, a co-working space, there's a built-in community, and it uh, makes it so you can switch every month and have that not be too burdensome. So I guess that's an option. I haven't done one of those. I've always done all my own organizing and planning, and I've just relied on meetups and, you know, like local Facebook groups and meeting friends and making connections on my own. There are some other good resources for that, like Nomad List. The Slack organization there is tremendous. I've met a lot of great nomads just by talking in the Slack chat for the country and finding out who's there and setting up times to meet up. But if you, especially if you are fast nomading and you don't really have time to do all of that organization, I think it could get, it could get pretty isolating. I think another thing is it kind of, changes your life experience in a way that sometimes makes it harder to relate to people because most people are not nomads. And so you go to a meetup and you want to talk to somebody and there are a lot of expectations about what your life is like and what your experiences are like that don't hold true. So there can be like little confusions 
one thing that I've noticed is that sometimes you can come across as arrogant or obnoxious because for you, you're just talking about like what you were doing last month. And for them, it's like, oh, this guy's bragging about all of his world traveling. Or there's like a sort of an expectation that, oh, if you're here, you are invested in this place to like to a greater degree than a nomad usually is. Like, oh, what do you mean that you don't care about the like the local sports thing that's happening? It's like right. I'm <laughs> I'm in Budapest during the Euro Cup. I don't know anything about soccer. And there's like a sort of a what is this? Why are you even? I don't understand. How can you not care about this? Yeah, yeah why don't you want to get into a fight? Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll knife you over this. In fact, if you only cared a little there more, There are stackings over soccer. People do that. It's crazy. Yo, yeah, yeah. Right. People got to chill out, bro. Soccer. <laughs> Stop like shanking people. The regional handball or whatever. <laughs> Esoteric sport. Yeah. yeah, I imagine that being a thing, though. Like, oh, you're just here and, you know having our resources at your disposal and ready to dip out to the next place. You don't really care about the community and stuff like that. I imagine it's a, it's a feeling people might have. Right. And there's a sense that like, why would I bother investing in you as a person? Like, why would I waste my time on you? You're a transigent. You're leaving soon. That makes sense. So like, you're more likely to be, you know, connected with other nomads who happen to be in that area. Yeah, and, but even they are also <laughs> transigent. So. Yeah, yeah, right. And you don't want to. You don't. <laughs> you yourself, as a nomad, don't want to invest the time in that because then they could just be in a completely different place than you. But yeah, I imagine while people are nomading in these places, it helps. People should figure out ways to help the community that they're in at that time. Well, yeah, I'm not telling. I'm not saying that you should like go out and do some soccer stabbings, but <laughs> I'm sure there are different <laughs> ways to help in the community while you're there. But I think, uh, yeah, Nomad List is pretty cool. I've seen. I've been to the website just now and like was fiddling with the tool, and it seems pretty dope to be able to find things that will be curated to a nomad's needs, which is pretty dope. Apparently, the word I was looking for is transient, not transigent. Transigent uh, is a person who's willing to compromise, which I guess I also am. Yeah, okay. <laughs> as a nomad, you got to compromise on certain things, you know. A transient is a person who's staying or working in a place for a short time only. Mm. Got it. Mm -hmm. I do have a question, William. As you've been traveling as a developer, you may have existed in time zones where the United States are sleeping. Do organizations find that they use their the people who are nomading as their on-call people and then you just end up doing on-call related, you're like on-call throughout the day as you're working regularly? I think that in an ideal world, yes. If you work at a company where they have a global staff and can do follow the sun for on-call, that's a big win for companies. I think that most of the time that's not how it goes. I think it's difficult to share knowledge across time zones in a way that makes everybody around the world effective at on-call. And I think there are also some regulatory and compliance requirements that make it difficult. So like, for example, you might not be able to grant production access to people who are offshore. Mm, these are like GDPR, things like that. Yeah, like HIPAA or other. There's just like, it may be possible, but 
would require a lot of extra legal hoops that you'd have to jump through. And so companies don't want to bother. Also, a lot of companies will hire overseas through some kind of third party service. So maybe you hire an employer of record to do all of your overseas employees so that you're not subject to local compliance requirements and you don't have to worry about like how you pay people in the Philippines and like what benefits requirements are. Or maybe you're just hiring contractors who have their own company. So then you're talking about somebody who's like not even really a direct employee. Do they get prod keys? So yeah, I think it can be it can be tricky. I think at a minimum you can get some support if you have people who are in other time zones. Even if they don't have prod access and can't solve the problem, they might be able to figure out whether or not this alert is really worth waking up a secondary for and then, you know, filtering out some of the pages. Yeah, that makes sense. That first like understanding of what the actual issue is and translating it into like a proper English thing is challenging especially if you're getting woken up at three o'clock in the morning right yeah so you can kind of do a first pass and have a general sense of what the problem is and then when you page somebody who actually has to log into production to mess with it you can give them the rundown and be an effective pair who's not tired speaking of like local regulations something that i'm a little unclear on is like how things work with respect to like visas and taxes and things like that it seems kind of complicated my understanding is that like some like tourist visas like let you do like limited business things as long as you're not like doing things in the country or like taking business away from people in the country so like you don't have to worry about like traveling with your laptop through some places but other places it seems like it's like a little more of a gray area yeah so i mean like the absolute strictest interpretation of the tax code would be that if you even work in another state in the U.S. for one day, then you're going to need to file taxes there. Like, if you want to get really extreme with it, you could. But the reality is that those requirements around the tourist visa that you not work, that's to keep you from competing with locals for jobs. So if mm -hmm. your work is overseas, the country is not really interested in enforcing these rules. Maybe if you were there super long term, like over a year in one country, they might want to you to establish residency and start paying taxes because you're you might not be working for a local employer, but yeah, I guess you're kind of using public services at that point. For the most part, it seems like nomads who are on tourist visas just work remotely and don't tell anybody. <laughs> and there's a little game you can play if you are from any country other than the US where if you are out of your country for 183 days a year, then you are no longer a tax resident. And as long as you stay out of any other country for more than 183 days a year, you can avoid being a tax resident there. <laughs> so there's like, kind of like not pay taxes. That's a thing that is changing now, where countries are starting to realize more and more people are doing this. We need to figure out a better test for tax nexus. Do you have nexus in this country? It can't just be about physical presence because it, that makes it really easy to just not pay taxes anywhere. Of course, this doesn't work for Americans because the U.S. is unique in that it taxes citizens on worldwide income no matter where they live. So long as you hold 
U.S. citizenship, you're subject to U.S. taxes. What you can do is if you're paying taxes in a local country, which, I mean, would mean you were in one country for a pretty long time, like more than 183 days in one country, then you could deduct the taxes you pay there. So if you're in a high-tax country like Germany, you know, you could end up actually owing more taxes in Germany than in the U.S., so you would just pay German taxes. If you're in a lower-tax country like Budapest, for example, you could end up paying however much you owe in Hungarian taxes, and then you deduct that from whatever you owe in American taxes. Or the by far the most popular option is to use the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, or the FEIE. And the way that works is the U.S. government says, if you don't want to have to deal with figuring out tax stuff for whatever the host country is, because that's complicated, we'll just say about $100,000 of income can be excluded from U.S. taxes. The number is tied to inflation, goes up every year, but right now it's around $100,000 you can deduct. So if you're making less than $100,000 a year, then that would be all of your income. So that's a pretty good deal. And to qualify for that, you have to pass one of two tests. There's the physical presence test, which is simpler to prove, but it requires that you spend more than 330 days a year outside the country. So you really don't get much time in the U.S. And then the other one is to show that you have tax residence someplace else, which would mean that you are also paying taxes there. So that one is harder. Right. So you're not really escaping. Like You just have to be subject to something else, which is a little more complicated. But you know, I, I'm sure there are like good resources out there for people who want to dig more into all of the joys of taxes. I, I feel like I'm I'm hearing like you know a depth even deeper than the pain that I feel working in New York and living in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a, a small nomad. Just a minor nomad for my tax situation. <laughs> Don't go committed tax fraud. Like, what is it? Like, follow the laws of the country that you're staying in or you plan to stay in. Yeah, you, you can avoid taxes when it is legal. You cannot evade taxes illegally. So we're not we're not advising anybody to break the law. Yeah, don't do that. I mean, I myself can't see me being moving from country to country in 180 days or le- like or less. Like I find that to be that's like a really difficult requirement for me. And I'm sure that's different for other people, right? Like, well, you're you're probably capable of doing the 183, moving into different places. But I like staying and like, I would have stayed in the Bronx for 183 years if I could. So <laughs> I don't think digital nomadic <laughs> is for me per se. And I imagine it would be, it's different for different people in different situations. So it's like pretty interesting. That they, I mean, and all these rules are already applied and I know the changes that are currently happening because there's so many people I imagine who signed up to be digital nomads within the past two years. You know, if if there is a pandemic, then I imagine that's probably a reason why people were moving and exiting and going to different places and staying safe as possible. And hopefully we'll get out of that mess sooner or later. Yeah, one last thing about the taxes. If you do file the foreign earned income exclusion, you're definitely going to want to have a real accountant look at that, ideally one who has done them before, because they are an audit flag. You are at a higher risk for audit if you take that. 
Yes. This is like, hmm, something's fishy over here. Boop. Uncle Sam's going to come and, and ensure that you're doing the right thing. So quick question. You had the opportunity to digital nomad. Let's say you had a little gnome who's capable of packing all your things and moving your family or you out of the country to wherever you wanted to go for, let's say, two months. What would that be? Uh, Dave, go first. I feel like for me, it would be fun to travel around the U.S. Like, So the one thing that I've found missing in, when I've traveled most recently is that I, I couldn't bring my dog with me. And so that kind of felt a little weird. So maybe I'd like get like a tiny van and go down by the river and <laughs> like get some satellite Wi-Fi or something. I don't know. Visit a national park. That'd be dope. Say the dog restriction wasn't really that, that uh, wasn't an issue. Wherever you go, Ziggy could come with you, bark her ass off, and everyone would find it a jolly old time. Would you have a place in the, in the globe you would want to go? No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, the U.S., maybe America. Maybe, maybe Iceland. I don't know. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's, that's dope. William, have you already been there, William? For me, it would it would be well. So I guess like if there are no restrictions, I would love to do Antarctica because there's probably only two months where you could be there and you know have it not be insane. Big fan of the movie The Thing. <laughs> the Thing, great movie, John Carpenter. <laughs> but it, like more realistically, I think for me it'd be Australia. Australia is really tough because of time zones. Very difficult to make that work. So that's kind of mm. like maybe unattainable dream maybe if i were in perth on the west side i could pull that off but it's i don't know yeah. I, I want melbourne coffee oh yeah <laughs> yeah you'd good. be in perth just kidding nate <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i was looking at this list really quick for me i probably would be and if it was three months and like i'm there or i'm out of there in three months and back in the united states i wouldn't mind like a stint in in like a spanish country I guess, right? Like there's two that I see on a nomad list. Probably like Barcelona, Spain is pretty, sounds pretty dope or Argentina. But I know that my particular Spanish, no one would understand me anyway. So it would be like I have to relearn <laughs> Spanish for the first time. But I think that'd be pretty dope. Seems like a pretty dope countries to be in and exercise whatever Spanish I do know. It'd be good for baby Gio. Yeah, Jill would have a have a blast for sure too. Uh, but like I said, that is the difficult part. Getting a two year old to do the digital nomading with you would probably be really, really, really hard. And I'd be interested in hearing any experience that people have with their families as they digital nomad in the age of you know being able to work from anywhere. There's definitely some blogs about that. Yeah, mm. not working from home, working from anywhere, which which sounds crazy. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.